is Soul Over the Bones, a podcast for rewilding by Liz Glenn. This conversation healed something in me. I'm joined by Caroline Lee, death doula, somatic psychology therapist, and psychedelic advocate who I first came into contact with at Yeah Field Trip in 2018. Several lifetimes later, we've joined together for this conversation where we deep dive into holding things lightly and embracing death to live a fuller life. Without further ado, please enjoy. Let's talk about death. Mm-hmm. First off, for any listener that's not familiar, could you describe what a death doula does? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a death doula is non-medical support. So we're not like hospice nurses or palliative care doctors. We're not medically trained, but we do end of life planning. Um, we also do sitting vigil with people sometimes as, as they are in the dying process. You know, the, the medical system in America is so maxed out that so often um, if someone's in the hospital or even if they're on hospice at home, the medical staff really only has like 10 minutes a day to kind of come in, check their vitals, check their medication and then move on. Yeah. Um, and there's so much more time in that, in that space. And so in a similar way, like if you might have a, a midwife or a natural birth, you might have a birth doula there to be with you through the whole process and to really explain like, what is the body doing and to answer questions and to advocate for the person who's going through it and to know them well enough to know what is it that they wanted and to be able to communicate that with doctors and and hospice nurses and all kinds of different people. So there's really a lot of different things um, and a lot of different death doulas specialize in different things. For me personally, I decided to become a therapist so that I could specialize more in grief and also just in navigating all of the very complex interpersonal and relational dynamics that come up around death. Mm, I feel like it's just like how you described it is very practical. And as you are saying this, I mean, I experienced a lot of death last year, but one specific instance was my last grandparent had passed away. But before it was just, I mean, he was 93. So it's kind of expected at that point. But I remember just grilling one of the nurses that came in and not in a way that was aggressive, but I was just trying to get as much information as possible in a healthcare system that is so overworked that, you know, they're not really checking on him. They're like, he's 93. He's been in and out of the hospital several times for different things, different infections. And he kind of fell under the radar, which, you know, I understand that the need needs to go to people who are, uh, I don't know, I I don't want to (laughs) say have more life ahead of them. And yet I do kind of feel that that's sometimes how it's prioritized, but having somebody there to advocate for him would have been so nice for me as the family member to have, to be able to tell me, okay, these are the signs that I'm seeing. Here's what you should prepare for. Instead of what we got was he's doing great, even though he was at that point, nonverbal all of a sudden, like overnight. And we're trying to get answers and we're not really getting anything from the nursing staff. And then 
all of a sudden the next day they let us know we got a phone call saying that he had passed away but they told us in hindsight his breathing had changed that morning and we're like but why didn't you contact us then his breathing changing would be one of those types of things that a death doula could make you aware of like perhaps now would be the time to come prepare yourselves I just think it could have been a different ending and so hiring somebody to do that you know sometimes people might wonder about like the validity of having something other than what's absolutely essential but I would argue that having a death doula is absolutely essential especially in end-of-life care but it also seems through what I've seen in your journey to be such a poetic and meaningful walk of life that just enriches your life in all other areas so I'm going to take another little tangent here could you tell me a little bit about your upbringing and what death meant to you growing up? Like what was your perception and belief system around death in your youth as compared to your belief system around death now and its significance? <laughs> wow. I love that. Oh, it's a definite uh, juicy topic. Also, just before I go there, I'll just say, I'm so sorry that happened with your grandfather. And I wish I could say that that is not a common thing, um, but it so is. And that's why you saying you can see the validity of having a death doula in a situation like that. I'm, I'm sad that you had a, a challenging and difficult experience um, that allows you to understand why having someone there would have been been supportive because it it really is the body is constantly giving clues and yes. signs and telling everyone what is going on but if a medical staff is just checking you know like opening the door and going like okay like his vitals are still going on the machine we're good okay. and then closes the door and moves on then no one's getting to communicate that to the loved ones and no one's tracking and saying oh hang on like you said, if his breathing changed that, that's a major clue of what, of what's coming. So Absolutely. I'm sorry that happened. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, my hope is that slowly things are shifting and people are understanding the need and just why someone being around is, is valuable. And also more and more people learning about what the dying process is like then hopefully there will be someone in every family who knows. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, to answer your question, uh, my upbringing was um, in the Midwest and it was in a very large family. Um, I'm the oldest of six kids and I was raised um, evangelical Christian. And so my upbringing, death was something that was looked at in of and not specifically like we would look at it as what is the biological process of death that was never even something that we talked about it wasn't it wasn't like this is a body that's dying and this is what's happening and these organs are shutting down and the breathing's changing and that wasn't a part of what death is death was just like the point where we don't see someone air quotes see someone anymore but then we will see them again and this like promise that we would see someone again in heaven when, when I die to join them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I won't even say that there's not parts of that belief system that don't still resonate with me. But what I will say is that holding that as the only 
way of looking at death really removes the way to be with death now and to see it as something now that's happening, not just in our bodies, but in nature, all around us, in, in the seasons, you know, fall, every fall is a death. Um, the trees go through it. Our pets go through it. Our friendships go through it. Our marriages go through it. Yeah. All kinds of death all around us. And so to speak about it in this way, that's like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. You don't have, you don't have to grieve because you're going to see him again. It removes the potency and the learning of, of actually being with the weight of, oh yeah, but they're not here anymore. And maybe your beliefs are different than mine. So we can't even, you know, do the spiritual bypassing that some people might call it spiritual bypassing. That's why I'm using air quotes again, sure. but some people might use that as a way of skipping over the grief and grief is very real. And it's a very real part of our human experience. Have you seen Good Grief on Netflix yet with Dan Levy? I haven't, but you're like the fifth person that has <laughs> named it this week. So have you? Is it good? I literally just did last night. My partner and I were looking for something to watch on Netflix. And it's so interesting because I feel like that what you just said is really sort of the heart of this movie. It's not replacing grief with something else to like numb it and not replacing grief with anger or replacing grief with like allowing yourself to fully grieve is something that's so difficult and we avoid it at all costs in western society where i i don't know a lot about like the the death and grieving process of other cultures maybe you do but i do feel like i can speak for western society in that we really just try to avoid difficult and uncomfortable feelings in general, but especially grief. 100%. Yeah. Well, I'll, it's on my, it's on my list of things to do. So I will check it out. Yeah, definitely. I just think that's so funny that you brought that up. And I was like, that is incredibly relevant. I just watched something that I can bring up about that. Um, I would love if you are willing, if we could talk about Judith, because I followed that story from its beginning. It was so heartwarming and endearing. And I would love if you could share that in as much or as little detail as you're comfortable with from mm -hmm. when you met her to the recent ending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Judith is someone who changed my life. Um, definitely, probably. I mean, I don't know what so I don't know I don't know what soulmates are, and I I don't believe in having one. But if soulmates are a thing, she's one of mine. Let's just say that. But I moved to the Bay to San Francisco in well, I started grad school during the pandemic, and then I was going to be moving to the Bay to be in person as soon as things got back together to be in person. And during the process of figuring out where I was going to move in the Bay, I came across a message in like a message board that was like, Hey, I'm looking for someone to live with me. And it was this like 79 year old woman. And just the way that she wrote about herself, I, I should find the message somewhere. Cause it was like sort of a hippie, like a original hippie from the sixties and yeah. just like a really direct communicator and all these things that I was like, Oh, this person sounds really cool. So we had a, a zoom call 
which was my favorite because, you know, it was only, I, I could only see her forehead. <laughs> I was going to say just that alone. I'm like, she's 79 and she knows how to pop her Zoom. She definitely way. did. She yeah. definitely was on That's Zoom all the time. Wild. Yep. But I, for, for our first call, I could only see her eyebrows and forehead. So <laughs> I was like, the rest of her was a mystery, but we had the best chat. And she told me about her life and, you know, her husband who had died and we, we talked and then, you know, she said, okay, well, I'll think about, I'll think about it. And then she reached out and said, okay, I thought about it. And I, I want you to live with me. I want you to be the one that comes to live with me. So I said, great, I'll move there as soon as school is in person. So I came by the house to meet her a couple months before I moved in. And it was just like this immediate connection of like, oh, you're the best, weirdest person ever. I'm so obsessed with her stories. Like, when I came in, she served, um, she just made a brownies and she gave me a beer, beer and brownies. That's <laughs> the first, the first, the first meal she gave me. So then I moved in, in August and, you know, we, we shared dinners together. We loved getting Indian food and eating it with our hands. Cause we had both spent lots of time in India. So we had like deep love for Indian culture and food and she had been in the in the Peace Corps um, in the 60s. And so she'd lived in the Philippines and Vietnam and she had lived in Israel and she just had a really interesting life and she was Jewish and her whole house was like covered in hippie, you know, paraphernalia and all sorts of different buttons and pins that had different sayings about, you know, uh, social justice and disability rights and things like that. And she just, she was, she was a just fierce friend. I made cinnamon rolls every weekend and we would sit and chat at the kitchen table and just like for hours. And she at 80 had still had a therapist. Like she would go, she would go in the basement for her phone calls with her therapist. And I'm like, this person just gets it. Like she just knows how to live her social calendar was like the fullest social calendar of anyone that I knew. She would always have friends over for lunch or people picking her up to take her out for dumplings. And <laughs> just really, you know, she just really knew how to do it, which meant she knew how to do it with Jess too. And one day early in my visit with her, I said, you know, forgive me for being so direct, but since you're 79, she hadn't turned 80 yet, but since you're 79 and I live with you, I would love to get your son's phone number and and your sister's phone number. And also like, can we talk about your end of life wishes? Cause I just would like to know. And she was like, Oh, I already have a folder. Everything's done. She was like, it's in my red filing cabinet and it's labeled death. <laughs> I was Great like, of point. course, very helpful. She did her work. She did it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we talked about it and we talked about her, how her mom died when she was 80 and she wondered if that would happen to her. And, you know, we talked about it really openly and she was always just so level-headed and neutral. She wasn't like teary about it or like, she was kind of just like, I lived a great life and when it's done, it's done. And I was like, wow. So um, in August this year, she got pneumonia. And it was a very, very quick process. She, you know, on a Friday, she was being taken to the ER because she couldn't breathe. And by Monday, she knew that her lungs were not healing and her lungs weren't responding to treatment. And so she was, she just started telling her friends, I'm dying, I'm dying. And she was just saying it very, very matter-of-factly. And then she died on Wednesday. Um, so she, it was like six days of being in the hospital. 
And she died on Wednesday night and I was there with her. I was there with her for a lot of the process at the hospital. And she kept saying to me, this feels like a dress rehearsal. Like it's so surreal to realize this is my actual death, but I'm here talking to you and I know my lungs are failing. And I know that when I take off my mask, I'm not going to be able to breathe anymore. And yet I'm getting to say goodbye to people. I'm getting to you know say anything I wanted to say. And she was like, since I'm not going to be here to, to talk about what happened, like write about my death, write anything you want about it, but just write about how weird it is to have this be a dress rehearsal that, that is actually the real thing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I'm, I'm sort of just giving you a brief overview of a very precious relationship in my life. And all in all, I think I only knew her for a year and a half and I lived with her for a little over a year before she died. Yeah. But it was uh, a very impactful relationship in my life and I miss her dearly. And I'm so grateful that her son and daughter-in-law are now friends of mine and, and her sister. She has a, a younger sister, Joanne, um, who's also a friend. Um, and I'm I'm just so grateful for the people that I got to know through her. And she she changed my life forever, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that story, I know... I can speak for myself, at least it's changed my life just to see that, just to see that people like her exist in the world and to see the very tender connection that the two of you had and the humor. And I just think she's absolutely incredible. And the fact that she was so aware that she told you, I think this is it. I think I'm I'm not going to be coming back home from the hospital just to be that aware. I mean, it's difficult because I haven't had a lot of experiences with people who are actively dying. And the people that I have been around who have been actively dying, it doesn't feel like you do get that creative liberty to ask, like, can you tell me about your end of life wishes without offending somebody or making them feel panicked? I mean, I can think of so many people just off the top of my head that absolutely refuse to think about death at all. And you don't want to offend somebody, but especially when someone's dying, you're trying to be very respectful. And do I just let them sort of be at peace, but you don't get to really know the inside of the mind and the thought process and what's happening internally, which again, just seems like such a gift that she gave to you that she's walking you through this process it was almost as though she was sort of a doula to you in that time that she was hundred percent to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. She really, she really, um, she was such a present friend and, and just in her own process, she was so willing to share it, you know, mm-hmm. and she, because she was in therapy all the way till she was 80, when I would ask her, like, even when she knew she was dying and I said, how are you feeling? you know, and we, I was like, are you scared? And she was like, no, I'm not afraid. And she was like, this is, she, she talked about her feelings and she was really willing to share so honestly and so directly. And I, I heard you say, you know, I don't want to offend people and talking about death. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm probably offending people all the time talking about death because that's what I do, but I hopefully am doing it in a way that is inviting people in to having the conversation before death is right there. Because I think 
if Judith would have been in the ER unable to breathe with pneumonia and I would have been sitting there with like a pen and paper being like, can you tell me what you, what do you want done with your house? Like, what do you want, what do you want done with your, where, with your body? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Like, and I would have been scrambling trying to get these answers from her. And instead she'd already done it. And I think that being able to be with what do I want? What do I want with my body? What do I want with my possessions? Asking those questions of ourselves and of our loved ones before we're in the moment where that information is relevant is one of the biggest gifts we can give ourselves and, and our loved ones. Yes, absolutely. And I don't think a lot of people really allow themselves to go there. I can speak specifically to my mom. I know that she would be okay with me sharing this. Her maiden name is Young. And so if older age and the fact that she's in her mid to late 60s is ever brought up, she absolutely refuses to talk about it. No, I was I was born young and I'm going to die young. And that's what she says. And that's her like catchphrase or whatever. But oh. she absolutely refuses to like talk about it. It just, and yet I think it's so interesting and I don't think she's even like self-aware or consciously aware that she's doing it. But every time there's a funeral and she's invited, she is going. I am not that way. I don't want to be at a funeral. Like that doesn't, I'm pretty open to talking about and accepting death, but that's not like my idea of a good time. And I do kind of wonder if, that's just her way of sort of easing into the inevitability of death because we're just, again, and I could go on a million tangents, but another aspect to this is that we are taught to revere youth and absolutely deny aging, like anti-wrinkle creams and procedures and stay young. Do not age because aging is horrible. We don't want to die young, but we don't want to get old either. And I just recently saw a documentary on Netflix that also put this into perspective for me. It was money explained and talking about our retirement and how people don't really save for retirement the way that they should, because while we can think about ourselves now or maybe like tomorrow, we have a difficult time thinking about ourselves. And they actually shared a study where people who did picture themselves and like looked at themselves through like one of those TikTok aging filters actually were more likely to save for a retirement because they were able to have compassion and presence of mind to consider their future selves. And I think it just speaks to Judith's total vulnerability and open-mindedness that she was just the realist and she was not afraid to go there like so many people. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Moses. You recently had a beautiful baby boy. And I know that you had mentioned that Judith was so sad that she wasn't going to get to meet him because she was really looking forward to that. How far along were you when she passed away? 30 weeks. So yeah. I don't even know what that is. And, but I was, I was very pregnant when she yes. died. Yeah. And had every intention of her being around when he was born, there were plans made there as you're finishing up your schooling and it's heartbreaking, but also I just think it's such a powerful metaphor that you experienced this impactful death 
right before this impactful birth. So I'm curious, has the process of giving birth changed your view on death as the juxtaposition of these two things so close and seemingly opposite, but actually very related? How has that presented itself for you? Hmm. I think that's a great question. I had been, you know, now, now I've been present for births and deaths, multiple births and deaths, but now I've actually given birth. So there's another added layer of, of kind of like understanding of this bizarre portal thing that we don't actually understand. Um, so I would say that birth and death have so many similarities and to be present at one is like, if you were present at both a birth and a death, you would probably be like, oh, wow, that is weird how similar it is from what the body does to the stages of it, to even just the mystery of like, okay, you just were here and now you're not, and you weren't here and now you are. And that's weird. Yeah. And there's so, there's so much around it. Um, I think personally in my own experience of giving birth and how I relate it to death, I would say that it is, it is a process and an experience that removes your will. Mm. There is no will involved. Like it is so deeply embodied and so much about just body and soul. And if you don't believe in soul, then you can call it something else, but body and life force energy, let's say the thing that the thing that is me that when I'm not able to talk anymore and and I'm, my heart isn't beating, whatever you want to call that. If you don't, if you don't believe in a soul, you can call it whatever you want. But even as I sit with my death doula clients and I, and we write out, what do you want your death to be like? What do you want? What do you want the room to smell like? Who do you want to be there? Do you want there to be music? All of these questions that we talk about, it's similar to a birth plan. So many people. It sounds so familiar. Yeah. And yet every, almost everyone that has given birth, if you said, did you have a birth plan? And they said, yes. And then you said, how close is your birth plan to the actual birth? Oh my gosh. It would, people would be like, oh, ha ha ha. Like it's Mine funny. Was thrown out of the window, like yeah. half an hour. Literally. Yeah. It's literally like joke, like ha ha ha. That's funny. Especially for the first one, I think second and third, you know, once the body knows a little bit more what the body is doing when it's giving birth, that's a different conversation. But at least for the first one, you have this like sparkly twinkly idea. You have your Google doc with your four pages printed out and everybody knows, and you've got your playlists and you've got your candles and you've got your whatever. And then suddenly you're just like emergency C-section or, you know, that's exactly my story. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry for laughing. I'm not, I'm not. No, no, truly it was, I mean, I, it became inevitable that like after 18 hours of laboring, she was just like her head was positioned the wrong way. And we finally figured that out after I'm fully dilated, fully effaced. And no matter how many plans, the best laid plans, it was just like, okay, it's time to have a C-section. And that's like the part of childbirth classes I never paid attention to. It's like that thing that you just are like, you know, that's never going to happen to me. And I do see so many similarities between like what you're saying between like birth and death, but the body somehow just knows what to do in both. Right. Yep. Yep. The body, the body knows what, what to do. And in most cases, um, I believe that 
birth and, and death aren't medical. They're not medical things. Like you don't actually need a doctor to die. You don't need a doctor to give birth. Yes, we we have that as options and that does make things so much safer for for especially birth as a process. But we in the US, we've made these things so medicalized and that just makes them expensive and impersonal. And there's a whole laundry list of things that get involved because we've made it something that doctors need to be there for when really I'm like, it's more just like sacred and intimate. Yeah. Less beeping machines and everything else. For me, I was hoping to give a birth in, in a birthing center. And also, you know, after being, after my water broke on its own and I was in labor for literally 56 hours. Yeah. Um, I finally went to the hospital for medical intervention. I, I did, I didn't have a C-section, but I still went to the hospital. And as that was happening, it was just like, you know, this vision of what I wanted, thankfully, because I'm so close to death in my work, I was like, okay, I'm just going to let it go. It wasn't something that I was like gripping onto and like grieving and angry and sad. I was just like letting it go, letting it go. But by the end, when I'm giving birth, it's this primal, my will is not there. Like even when the person who's delivering Moses was like, okay, during the next contraction, can you just ride it out? Like, don't push. I was like, no my body was just like, we are pushing and it, we don't care. Like if I was like, no, I'm just going to sit here and just relax through the contraction. My body was like, no, ah, like pushing yeah. without, without me trying to. Um, and I think that that's, that's my biggest, biggest takeaway around birth and around death. Just this idea that our will gets removed and we have to surrender and we don't get to take our labels and we don't get to take our identities. We don't get to take our stuff with us. Like I had this magical dream of having a friend there to photograph it and having one of my closest friends there. At the end of the day, I didn't know anyone in the room except my partner. It was this room full of strangers, not even the midwife that I'd been working with was in the room. Yeah. And you just let it go. You let it go, let it go. And if I didn't want to let it go, it wouldn't care. Mm -hmm. It still, it still keeps going. And that's what happens with death too. Like it doesn't stop to say, are you ready to let this go? It's just like, no, you will. And you are. And that's the, that's the work. That's the invitation. Now, the way that I see it is to start practicing that and seeing that as an invitation in so many different things in life and so many different scenarios. That's my next question for you, actually. I'm curious how you take this knowledge of surrendering, of letting go, this invitation. Do you have a daily ritual or routine that helps you to be mindful of death and how you are living to bring that like presence of death closer or that idea of release of surrender into your life? How do you incorporate that? And what does that look like for you? It's a, it's a great question. I think it, I think having a relationship with death and having a really close relationship with death enriches my, my relationship with life. I yeah. think that it, that is there for all of us. If we're willing, if we're willing to be with death as a reality and to see it everywhere, to see it in like I said before, nature, relationships, emotions, to see death everywhere around us, that 
is really a possible way for, for our lives to be richer and our lives to be fuller. And kind of like the more capacity that I have to be with grief, the more capacity I have to be with joy. And as I expand one side of the spectrum, the other side mirrors it. I think as far as specifics, like that's very, I got, that was very like esoteric and poetic and woo woo, but like, okay, but like, just get down to it, Caroline, what, what are the practical steps here? I think that I don't, I wouldn't say that I have like a daily practice where I do the exact same thing, but I, I do love doing death meditations occasionally, um, which there's a beautiful reading that I can send to you. If, I don't know if you have like show notes, if you want to yes. share it. Yes, please yeah. do. And I'll add it in the links. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But there's um kind of a reflection of the end of life that you kind of go through just these different steps and layers of things that you can't take with you and things that you don't have control over. And it's like a meditation to really look at, oh, what am I making a huge deal in my life right now that actually I, I can't take it with me. I can't, I can't take even my identity with me. Like I can't, I can't take my name with me. I can't even, you know, like I'm, I can't die and be like, I'm Caroline. Like I, I leave that here and people will remember me as Caroline, but I don't get to take any of this with me, whether it's tangible, physical, a label that someone put on me, whether it was like even death doula, like that's not, that identity is not something that I will get to take with me. So it's holding it all very loosely. And, and that means staying in relationship with that as a releasing process as much as possible. So with these different readings and meditations, it means checking in to see if maybe I've gotten a little too clingy to something. Um, and that's really weird becoming a mom and looking at my beautiful, you know, seven week old son and being like, one of us is going to say goodbye to the other one. I hope it's, I hope it's him saying goodbye to me. I don't, I don't want to be the one who's saying goodbye to him, but one of us is going to be saying goodbye to the other. And that feels really weird to be looking at a tiny baby and thinking about that. But it just reminds me about how, how loosely we are invited to hold things um, mm -hmm. and how that just invites such a deep presence because I need to be here with him now. I need to be fully, fully here in this moment because it's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be this way. So I don't want to be, you know, on my phone and sort of looking at him when I'm nursing him. I want to be like fully like, holy shit, I'm nursing my child. And this is a wild moment that I'm in a body being a human with another little human. And who knows how long we get to do this together. So I want to just be here. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so powerful holding on so loosely surrendering as a photographer this feels very relevant in the way that I want to be present when I am being photographed and having these memories but then again at the end of the day it's just it kind of seems futile doesn't it like because like you say I mean it's just we can't take anything with us it's something that will be left over. And I think I'm always constantly aware of like the legacy that I'm going to leave behind, especially in relation to my daughter and my relationship with her. And I think that's why 
it's so important to me to have photographs done. But as a photographer, like conveying that to other people, like this doesn't last. This is so fleeting. Someday this will all be different. It will all be gone. It's not going to be this way anymore. Whether that's because of death, I mean, God forbid, or just growing up, which is another kind of death, another kind of transformation that we have to hold loosely. As mothers, I think we constantly experience this in multiple different capacities, both becoming a mother and a sort of death to who we used to be, a death to the lives that we used to live, and also just constantly being present in looking at our children and knowing that like, I'm sure Moses has grown so much. You posted a picture just the other day and his eyes were open. And that's new for me to see as like just some random person watching your life on the internet. But I'm like, he's gotten so big already. That little newborn phase changes so fast and then it's gone. And that's a kind of death. And that's something that we are both grieving and celebrating because of course we want him to continue to grow and we want to experience the new iterations, but we do have to hold on really loosely because we can get stuck on that. And also another thing that you've mentioned is stuff, letting go of stuff, which is so hard, especially, I think, especially our parents' generation where they're, I don't want to say hoarders because, you know, like I've, seen like the TLC level hoarders and it's maybe not quite that level. However, just like the generations before us of like, don't ever get rid of my stuff because it's so important to me. But then when they're gone, you're left with, you know, the remains of a consumeristic Western society. And I think that is another thing that needs to be brought to light and talked about more. And you address this as well on your Instagram. You've talked about that. You've talked about psychedelics in end of life, which I think is a really important element to discuss as well when we're voting and things that we should be voting on, especially in California. I feel like more things like that move to pass there than here in Michigan. We are a purple state, but we're definitely not as progressive as California. But Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor is doing it, doing it right. Okay. I did actually see that. And I i won't mention why I know this on my podcast, but I did notice that they sell psilocybin in Ann Arbor only. You can get magic mushrooms, but you have to be a resident of Ann Arbor, which is wild because why, why just that one city? That's so crazy, right? Like, why would you do that? You know, but it's slowly, slowly. And I see the benefits of that truly. I mean, I've had so many different friends in life and not necessarily in death experiencing different, how should I word it in a way that's not like drugs? <laughs> so that's more positive. Um, different uh, states of consciousness. Yes. Yes. That have benefited them, whether it's to help with anxiety, whether it's to help with marriage or self-realization or sexuality, or I can't even imagine like the endless ways that these things could help we only hear in the news about the negative effects or if you're using it in conjunction with other irresponsible behaviors or habits. But I think it's really powerful, the work that you're doing, that you are an advocate for these things and always 
making me aware as well as all of your other followers of these types of things that we should know more about that you have been looking into. So I appreciate that. Speaking of which, where can my listeners get more of you? Well, um, I probably am the most often found on Instagram. Um, my personal account is how Caroline Carolines. Um, and so I post there a lot and it, that's just kind of my, like my stories are always things that I think are interesting and relevant. I also have a death related TikTok and Instagram, which is death.ed. I was posting there like every single day. And then I was in practicum and got pregnant and I was like, okay, we're just going to pause this. But now that it's the new year, um, I will be back there posting more frequently starting this week. So, um, so yeah, if you're interested in more like death education, death doula stuff, then death.ed on both TikTok and Instagram. Lovely. And I highly recommend to all of my listeners to absolutely subscribe. I mean, you have just been like so influential in all of the information that I've gotten. And this has been one of my absolute favorite interviews of all time. I think it's just so powerful. And I'm really grateful that you joined me here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And and to everybody who's listening, I hope that you're inspired and not scared um, to, to just notice, notice death all around, but also the reason that we're noticing that is so that we can just notice life too. Mm, yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.